because I was really jamming to that song. <laughs> so uh, those are the much promised VBS pictures that I told you last week. We did not have time to prepare in between Saturday and Sunday. Uh, as you can see, we had a lot of fun. Um, I did want to share like one quick little nugget for you. You know, when you have a bunch of kids and some are more still than others, some are more rambunctious than others. And there was this one particular little boy who just was like wanting to be going the whole time. You know, his mind was always like five steps ahead of what we were doing currently. And it was hard to tell, like, is he getting anything from this lesson? I don't know. And at the end of the night, uh, we brought in, started with Jonah on that gurney that you saw, which I believe Shelly made, right? Yes, Shelly made that. I didn't even get a chance to say thank you to Shelly for making that. Um, it was Sandy's idea, and then Shelly put it together. So it was a group effort. But So we brought Jonah in on that because Sandy and Lorena had shared the story of the paralytic man, the healing of the paralytic. And so we brought Jonah out to kind of give the kids a visual of here's what this kind of would have looked like. And this little boy ran up while Jonah was in the, mat, or in the gurney, and I said, do you want to say what Jesus said to the, to the young to the man when, before he healed him or as he healed him. And so the little boy was like, yeah. And so I was kind of helping him with it, you know, because I was like, I don't know if he remembers. And so I said, Jesus said, you are healed. And right before I could say it, like he remembered a part that I wasn't even, that wasn't even coming out of my mouth and I'm not even sure, but he remembered the take up your mat and walk part and like said it boldly before I even had a chance to get there. And so I was just like, oh, it's stuck. And he was on it. And so then all the kids took a ride in the gurney because who doesn't want to ride in a gurney? And so we did that around the park in a gurney. It was fabulous. So uh, we had a great time. Well, welcome. We are so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning, or if you're tuning in online, welcome. We are also glad that you are with us in spirit. Um, I hope that you have come with your hearts open. Uh, this morning, I walked around this room briefly and prayed that all would enter into this place with open hearts, because God is always ready and willing to show up and to give more of himself to his people. Do you believe that? And I truly believe, I'm not just a pastor talking, I'm, I truly with everything in me believe that if we enter here, if we come into this time open and ready to receive whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to give, then we will be blessed. And we will leave knowing that God showed up and showed out once again. And so I'm praying that that would happen. Um, so our kiddos uh, came back from kids camp on Friday. We've got their, the four of them here. And it just so happens that we are opening with a song this morning, a House of the Lord, a song that they sang at camp many times and learned motions to. And I said, well, you have to come and share the motions with us. And so as we sing, there is joy in the house of the Lord. These kids are gonna bring us some joy this morning and they're going to uh, do the motions just down here on the front. And so I hope you will follow along, catch that uh, joy that they are carrying with them. And so we're excited to, to just let them share with us a little bit of what they learned at camp this week. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we take this moment and we welcome you here into this place. God, I pray that as we come with open hearts, that we would be ready and willing to receive more of you. 
I need so much more of you, Jesus. And I pray that my heart would not be distracted or closed off, but that I would be open, that I would fix my eyes on you and be ready and willing to receive all that you want to pour out. God, would you, would this time be a blessing? Would, Would the praise from our lips be a blessing to you as we lift high the name of Jesus? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Now, will we be able to see them if they're down here? All right. Okay. And if you want to, can the adults do the motions with you guys? Is that okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's praise the Lord this morning. And thank you, kids, for, uh, for helping us praise the Lord.
Amen. Amen. And thank you guys for helping us out this morning. I just uh, realized there are a couple of benefits to doing the motions. Not only are we using our bodies to praise the Lord, but we also burn calories. <laughs> so good job this morning. Good job this morning. Uh, we, we have a call to worship. We're going to, uh, I'm going to read. So let's focus our hearts and our minds on the scripture this morning. It comes from Colossians. And it talks about the supremacy of our, of our God. So let's, uh, let's read this. Uh, read this in your hearts with me. For he has rescued us from the dominion of the darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. We're going to continue our praise this morning by singing together. Great hymn of our church, Come Thou Found.
Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. a song we're very familiar with.
switching the wrong button. (laughs) All right, we're just going to move on from that. Amen. Well, God, we just continue to worship in your presence this morning. God, we thank you for drawing near to, to us as we draw near to you. God, I pray that as we continue to go throughout this service. I pray that that your presence would still be palpable, that you would uh, continue to draw near to us 
Open up our hearts, God. Continue to speak to us. Holy Spirit, guide us and convict us and lead us in the way we should go. I pray that through song, through testimony, through spoken word, the reading of the word of God, I pray that we would be renewed. I pray that we would be refreshed. I pray that we would leave knowing that God was here, that God goes before, and that God goes with. God, we are are hungry and desperate for you. And so this morning we pray, continue to come, continue to draw near and fill us with more of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know, I, I feel there's a sense in the room of, we want more of the kids. We wanna see more from the kids. And so I hear you. So kids, come up here and humor us and share with us Come on, you three. I know we're, we're three out of four, which is okay. It's not for everyone, and that's okay. So they are going to come and share with us. Do you want to hold a microphone? No? Do any of you want to hold a microphone? You probably need one. I'll hold one out for you. How about that? I'm going to hold the yellow mic out in front of them a little bit without covering them up. All right, so what are you guys going to... Hmm? No, it's all acapella. It's all you guys. All right, so what song are you going to be sharing with us that you learned from camp? The Fruit of the Spirit. All right, so you got this. You don't need the music. We want to hear you, okay? All right, ready? Whenever you're ready. Loud and proud. That song has been around for quite some time, and it's still captivating children. 
Uh, children are still loving this song. All right, I'm going to hold on to this microphone because... Friends, the Lord is up to something. The Lord is stirring in hearts to, uh, to, to, the Lord is stirring in hearts for those to come and step out and to share the goodness of God is what I'm trying to say. The goodness of God is stirring in hearts and the goodness of God is made available from the littlest of littles all the way throughout our entire adult lives. The goodness of God is continuously flowing and moving. And so I just appreciate how God's goodness is flowing through certain individuals this morning to be a testimony to us. And so uh, I'm gonna ask Gina to come and she has asked if she could share a testimony to which I very excitedly and happily said, yes. I wanna hear what God wants to say through Gina. And so we're gonna hear from her. Morning, church family. Um, today is my seventh anniversary from my accident, and the Lord just absolutely led me to get a hold of Nicole this morning. Um, and just to let y'all know, this service, the whole service, has been about healing and praise, and that's what I need to do. I just need to praise wow. the Lord. Um, I'm doing much better every day, uh, making great strides after breaking both ankles. Um, and just being so laid up, and y'all have just, <laughs> uh, I have felt the prayers, I have felt your love, um, my family has been absolutely incredible, especially my husband, um, and my daughters that stepped up and had to cook Christmas dinner this year, <laughs> I'm so proud of them, um, but I just wanted to just praise the Lord, um, I give him all the glory for how quickly uh, my body is healing, and everything that's going well. And I just want to pray, uh, ask that y'all continue to pray for our family. Um, there's some other stuff going on, and we just need lifting up um, with your prayers. And pray for Mr. Finney back there. He's having a little issues with uh, the congregate or the building because of uh, the incident with uh, one of the funerals and stuff. So we just wanted to. Um, lift him up in prayer too that he can calm back down and want to be in church <laughs> uh, so if you see him kind of nervous that's what's going on with him and stuff but praise the Lord um, I'm so grateful um, you know he, he walks us down every road side by side with us and he is just amazing and thank you for letting me share and praise y'all um, I can we give God glory Give God glory. And I say that because I, when somebody who has fallen and broken both ankles wants to tell me about how good and faithful God is, I'm all ears. I'm all ears because I, you know, from the day it happened and, and all throughout, I'm just in awe of how how, and I'm, I have to believe there were moments of, you know, like, oh, I can't believe this is happening and moments of discouragement. But overall, Gina was just so peaceful and joyful and just eyes fixed on the Lord. She had a resolve uh, the entire time throughout her healing process. And I say, thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. So thank you, Gina, for sharing. Uh, we are continuing to pray for you guys, um, and we will continue to do so. You guys are loved, and um, 
I think that's just a testimony to how God works and moves uh, in miraculous ways, in mysterious ways, and through the people of God. Amen? All right. Well, speaking of moving through the people of God, uh, today we are going to continue on week five of our series, Godspeed. Uh, week five of six, so we're nearing the end. Uh, some of you might say, yay, time for something else. And some of you, I think, have enjoyed it, and I'm so grateful because uh, I, th I felt like it's been good, but in a very challenging way. Uh, for myself included, and so I'm just thankful for for the faithfulness of God when we aren't quite sure it, are you you is God speaking in this or not you know but He's so faithful He's so good and so faithful and even if I choose a series that's not like a, a home run He is faithful to speak throughout. Uh, everything that I give to him. So I'm just very grateful. But um, I want to make a, a slight programming note in case you missed it in the announcement video. So this is week five. We're going to finish in two weeks. Next week, next Sunday, we are going to have the Mullen family here. They're going to be our district NMI speakers uh, for missionary convention at district assembly this week. And then they're going to come here and share with us on Sunday. Uh, because when you have missionaries come and they tend to share about things that are more sensitive sensitive and more, uh, you know, it's they're sharing about creative access areas and restrictions and all of that. And so for that reason, we will not be live streaming the service next Sunday. Uh, and we understand that for some that might be a little bit frustrating. Uh, we hope that everyone who can come physically will come. Uh, but we also just want to give you plenty of notice that we will not have the service live stream next Sunday. But we really do encourage you to come and hear what God is doing through the Mullen family. Uh, so I did want to make sure and mention that. And then the week after that, we'll finish up this series. But one of the major themes that you may have noticed, there have been a few that have stood out kind of week to week, but one of the major themes that we have been talking about throughout this series is this theme of knowing and being known, of, of moving to a place where you are willing to know others and you are willing to yourself to have yourself be known. And there's this component of being known by God, knowing God and being known by God. And then there is this natural flow of, of how that affects us relationally, to, to, that it moves us to be known by others and to know others. There is this very much a theme of community throughout this series, which perhaps is why I'll confess maybe why I was drawn to it, because you know that that's just my thing. I am fascinated and in open ears when it comes to learning how we can be a better healthier community as the people of God. And so anytime something touches on that, like I'm drawn to it. And, and throughout this series, this idea of knowing and being known, it resists isolation. It, it's resistant against this idea that I don't need people. Maybe some people say, I don't need God. I don't need others that I can do this on my own. But instead, it's embracing this proclamation of here I am, as we talked about that second week. This proclamation of Moses who stood before God and said, here I am. And then this proclamation that ultimately um, affects others, our relationship with others. When we say, here I am to God, it's going to affect our relationship with others in some way. 
So this week, um, I don't know what the deal is. I have been drawn to the poetry recently <laughs> and to poets and learning about them. And, and they're just standing out in my mind. But this week, I did some reading and some learning about um, uh, this poet. Okay, sorry, I was a little distracted there. This poet, John Donne. Hope I'm saying his name correctly. Looking at the English major back there. <laughs> this poet, John Donne. Um, I read about him this week. I, to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've really learned about uh, poet, English poet John Donne. And I was fascinated reading and learning about his life. If you've never Googled John Donne or if you haven't heard or learned much about him, I encourage you to do so because he has a fascinating story. And I learned these cool tidbits and I texted Kathy, the English major, and said, tell me if this is true. Do you remember learning about him? And she, we had a conversation about it and she said, yeah, that's all that's true. I learned this week that, that John Donne is considered one of the greatest love poets in the English language. He's very well known for his love poetry, but he's also extremely well known for his religious poetry, his religious discourse. He loved to engage in good theological discussion, and he was a sermon writer, but not just any sermon writer. I read that he was among the best sermon writers of the 17th century. And I thought that was so fascinating. I thought, how have I not heard about him before? I may have, and it just didn't stick because that happens sometimes. And later on in life, he went on to become an, or, an ordained deacon, and he really had a life of, of success and struggle and just a fascinating story. You might be wondering, well, when were you writing your sermon? <laughs> were you learning about English poets or were you writing a sermon? Because I was thinking about this quote that we know uh, this well-known quote that we know that no man is an island. That quote was resonating with me this week, and I, I wanted to learn more about it, like the context behind this quote. I don't like to just throw stuff out there. I like to know about it first. And so I googled this quote, not knowing that it came from John Donne and one of his long, uh, not longer poems, but it's a part of, of a whole poem which he wrote. And I was so captivated as I read the entire poem. It's very short, but I want you to read it with me this morning or follow along as I read it. I am struggling with this clicker today. Am I going too fast for it, maybe? Um, but here's this, this poem uh, that John Donne wrote, and it starts off with the well-known phrase, no man is an island entire of itself. Really listen to these words. They're so good. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manor or thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, I never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. I thought that was beautiful. I read it over and over. The more you read it, the better it gets, I can assure you. So go look that up and, and read it later. And here's why I was so struck by this poem as a whole, beginning with this well-known phrase, no man is an island. Because as I read about Dunn's life, I learned that 
He wasn't just writing romantic poetry here. Uh, He wasn't just putting words together that might move people. I am convinced that he was writing from personal experience because there were moments in his life where he had to be dependent upon others. There were moments in his life where he had no choice. He could not separate himself and be an island. There were moments in in his life where he experienced death untimely death and it affected everything about him and so I know that he is writing from experience he's not just simply writing romantic poetry but as I'm thinking about all of these themes this theme of being of knowing and being known I loved this poem this this not just this phrase but this poem as a whole because I see how how Dunn has in a sense experienced and is holding up this theme that we see all throughout scripture and that is that we were created for community we were created to know one another and we were created to be known And I love that God will work through anyone and everyone to communicate that theme. And I just think he communicated through John Donne so beautifully. No man is an island. No man is an island. Oh, but Pastor Nicole, you just don't understand I don't want to have to deal with the inevitable hurt that comes with doing life with other people. It's just too hard and I've been hurt too much and so being isolated is so much easier. But Pastor Nicole, I just don't have the patience anymore to deal with the annoyance of people, the annoyances of people. They just annoy me so bad, they really get on my nerves and it's better for everyone if I just stay isolated on my own little island. Pastor Nicole, I just wanna do things the way I want. I don't want to have to listen to others. I don't want to have to submit myself to others. I just want to do things in a very particular way, in the way that I want, without having to open myself up to others. Pastor Nicole, it's just really difficult when when you talk about understanding people because there are people in this world, people in my life that that I just cannot understand. I've given up trying to understand them. I can't and I'm tired of trying. Pastor Nicole, do you know how hard it is to do life with other people? It's really, really hard. To which I would say, Amen and amen. I know. I I may be a 30-something that seems to know a lot about nothing, but I do understand that doing life with other people is really, really hard. Right? People offend us. People hurt our feelings. People hurt us to the core, causing us to experience the worst pain we've ever known. People don't do things the right way, the right way that I deem is the right way. People don't grow quickly enough. They don't learn quickly enough. They don't change soon enough. And it's just too difficult. On an island, I don't have to deal with them. And it can just be me and Jesus. This is the Christianese, right? On an island, it's just me and Jesus. He's all I need. I don't need those people to be a Christian. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. And to that, I would say, I'm not here to argue that Christ alone is enough to fulfill you. 
I'm not here to dispute that, that Christ alone is enough to sustain you and to help you experience flourishing. And I am also up here to reaffirm the idea that you should not depend on others for things that only God alone can give you, right? That's not healthy either. But this is one of those moments where I think both things can be true. That yes, Christ is enough to sustain and to fulfill, but he also gave us the gift of community and of relationship. And all throughout scripture, we see that we are called to live into community, to live into relationship for which we were created. I got on that little tangent last week. I told you, and I'm going to be stubborn with this one. Usually I'm very open and understanding and I, I, I make room for nuance, but I am convinced and you cannot convince me otherwise. That, that you read the creation story and you see Adam's response to Eve. Remember last week I said, it, I think it has less to do with the fact that Eve was his wife and more to do with the fact that here before him is another human being, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, someone who sees me, someone who understands me, someone who is like me, someone who with, with whom I can relate I believe we were created for community and for relationship. And I know you're so tired of hearing about it. <laughs> I'll just call it out. I know, I know. And you know, I, I read throughout the gospels. I read through, through scripture and through the gospels. And I think if anyone had the right to claim isolated island living, if you will. When I say island living, I mean isolated living. If anyone had the right to claim isolated living, it was Jesus. Right? He didn't need other people. He, didn't, he wasn't dependent upon them. I would say that, that Jesus would say, I did need other people because he embraced humanity that much. But we know that he was God incarnate. He didn't need other people to flourish, right? And Jesus didn't need, God could have skipped the messy born into humanity part and Jesus could have just arrived at the right time, at the right moment. But God chose another way. God chose the messiness of humanity. God chose through Christ, chose to demonstrate his love incarnationally, which is extremely messy. Incarnational living is messy. I'm not even trying to paint a romantic picture for you. Like I, I'm, I spent time thinking about, I'm not even trying to. It's not beautiful and romantic. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but, but Jesus chose to step into our mess. He chose to lean into our messy world. He chose to take up residence in our messy neighborhood rather than avoiding it. And so we see that demonstrated in Jesus' life. And then we see that if you read the letters from all the various apostles throughout the New Testament, we see this theme affirmed through the apostles again and again and again. They continue to build upon this theme of community, of unity, of coming together despite your differences, coming together despite the things you can't agree on. We are made one in Christ as we read from the apostle Paul. So take this moment. I invite you to stand if you're able. As we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, Paul says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know that was a long passage. I'm aware. We're halfway through at this point almost, so don't freak out. And there's so many things that, huh, it's almost daunting to pick a passage that large because there five sermons could come from that passage, okay? But at the same time, I felt like it was appropriate to read it as a whole. I think if you try to piece that up just to make it shorter and more applicable to this message, you would miss other important parts that still support what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. So the Apostle Paul is, is building upon this theme that he spends a great deal of time throughout all his letters uh, communicating. All throughout Paul's letters, there's this consistent theme of trying to deal with division in the churches. Paul is writing to the churches, trying to help them understand what it looks like to be one united flourishing body. And Paul understands he's dealing with Christians who have very different ideas when it comes to following Jesus. They have different ideas on what kind of songs should be sung. They have different ideas on what kind, how long the sermon ought to be. They have different ideas when it comes to, uh, to outreach and, and how to minister to the community and how to fellowship well. They all have very different ideas, and yet Paul is pleading with them, stay together, be one, be united together, and that's what this passage is about did you notice, I tried to signal with my hand motions, but did you notice how many times the apostle says one? <laughs> to be one, the body is one, right? He says it multiple times. And what have we learned if, if we haven't learned that when authors repeat something, they want you to pay attention. It's important. There's a reason. This passage is all about being one. It's about being whole. It's about being a unified body, 
Paul says, we were baptized in and by one spirit, and we are all in and of the same one spirit. And so because of that, this is a little bit bold, but don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I'm just preaching it. Paul says, therefore, essentially what, what he's saying is no part of the body can say to the other part of the body, I don't need you. There is no permission for that kind of language. I know you don't like that, but again, don't shoot the messenger. There is no permission for one part of the body to say to the other, I don't need you and you don't need me. Paul goes into great detail, really leaning into this metaphor of the human body, which is a brilliant metaphor if you think about it. He knew what he was doing to communicate how crucial and necessary each part is. That's a different sermon, kind of, it could be. But not only that, but how each part needs the other parts. You're dependent upon the other parts. No part can cut itself off and operate on its own. You need all the other parts. No part of the body gets to remove itself separated from the rest of the body. Friends, no man is an island. Even though isolated living is all too tempting. In fact, Paul goes on. He goes on to say that each part of the body, this is the language, this is what I'm hearing from Paul's language, that each part of the body is to be so intertwined, so connected, and so utterly dependent upon the other parts, that if one part is rejoicing, all rejoice. If one part is mourning, all the other parts stop what they're doing and they mourn with this part. See, we're not just talking about the body anymore, right? If one is hurting, the rest of them are hurting. If one is mourning, all the others mourning. If one is wandering, the rest wander away to find it. If one part is in need, the others care for that need. They recognize that need. They show up for that need. They don't ignore that need. Each part should have equal concern for the other, and all parts are necessary for flourishing. What have we been talking about throughout this series? God's speed is not about a certain or particular speed, although we acknowledge, we confess that if we were to, to put a speed to the term God's speed, it would be too slow for us, right? But it's about flourishing. It's not about speed necessarily, how fast or slow something is being done, but it's about flourishing. The word, the phrase God speed means may God flourish you. And Paul is, is in, in, from how I can see it, Paul is pleading. Please see that this is the way of flourishing. To be together, no one separated or isolated. Are you uncomfortable yet? Are you a little bit like not enjoying this yet? Because if you're not, you might not be paying attention <laughs> because I think this goes against everything that, that we pride ourselves on, especially in our context here in the Western world in America. We've talked about this before. We're independent to a fault. We are individual to a fault. To, to an individualist, this is offensive. This is problematic. This is frustrating. 
used to going where we want. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go when I want to go. I want to go with who I want to go with, and I don't want to go with those I don't want to go with. And you can't tell me what to do because I make up my own mind. I am an individualist. I am independent. I do what I want to do. And that's why I'm borrowing this phrase so that you don't completely hate me. That's why rugged individualism and Christianity often um, are opposing of one another. They often oppose. Rugged individualism and Christianity don't jive very well because almost nothing in scripture is spoken to a solitary person. It's always to a people. When God, sure, are there moments where God is speaking to a person regarding a specific thing? Yes, okay? <laughs> I'll humor you, yes. But when it comes to this is how to live in the way of the kingdom, this is how to usher in the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, the people speaking are speaking to a people, not a person. We have individualized the gospel. We have tried to make it where it fits our individual tendencies, but it's completely counter to what we see in the gospels. The gospel as a whole is very communal. The language is always communal. It's never isolated or individual. And it's certainly, I think if anyone understands this well, it would be a monk who is bound to a community for life. And I'm not about to start like being in some, like preaching on monasticism. I'm not qualified. I am not the person to even know the first thing about teaching monasticism. So don't freak out. But I appreciate that throughout this series, if you watch the film, you heard from Father Giles, who, pre who shared at different times. <sighs> okay. And I really loved this quote when he says, and again, he's speaking, he's a monk. So he is speaking as someone who is bound to a particular community for life, for life. And it's much more rigid than, than you just deciding to come and leave, uh, to come to a congregation or leave a congregation, right? And I love how he says this. He says, the gospel isn't romantic. It's hard scrabble sometimes. And he's speaking from experience. It's not pleasant or lovely doing life with these people sometimes, right? The gospel isn't romantic. It's hard scrabble sometimes. I love that because as I, I kind of jumped ahead earlier, that it's anything but romantic because doing life with other people, being in relationship with other people is difficult. It can be difficult. It can be joyful and rewarding. But if I look at the issues that, that, that we see in relationships, we're focused on the negative, right? And so we're not necessarily thinking about how joyful and wonderful it can be. We tend to get caught up on the, the difficult moments. We see each other's faults, right? Even if it is romantic at first, even if it's like, oh, I love these people. They're wonderful. Look how nice they are to me. They are so welcoming and, and kind and everyone shook my hand and everyone smiled. There will come a time where, where you will quickly forget that and you will immediately see, oh, but I don't like that. And oh, wow, that offended me. And oh, well, I just, I don't think I can do this with these people. We easily get to the point where we see each other's faults and flaws. And then the virtues are a lot harder to find and a lot harder uh, to see and to, to sit with. 
It takes time. It takes diligence. It takes willingness. Friends, church, it takes a holy resolve to commit to doing life with people, to stick around when things get hard, to continue journeying together when we are hurt or when we hurt others. And I think that if, what, if we were to accept this, even if it's hard word, if we were to accept this and, and do one other thing, I think we would see that we make this so much more difficult than it needs to be. And I say that very lightly and carefully. I think if we were to accept this word that we weren't meant to do life alone, we don't flourish when we do life alone, when we live isolated, and if we would acknowledge, if we would just take a moment to really honestly think about our souls, our hearts, ourselves, and reflect, do some honest reflecting, you would see, I would see that I am part of the problem. I have flaws. I do. Ask my husband who's standing right back there. Look at him. He'll... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He's turning around. (laughs) Well, look at the time. (laughs) Ask my children. They for sure will tell you. Ask that older one. She has a no problem telling. She's thrown me under the bus so many times, and I'm here for it. I'm like, go ahead. I know. But I am part of the problem. I am flawed. I make mistakes. I unintentionally hurt others. And if I sit and do some honest reflecting, I see like, oh, I am messy. I'm a mess. I have a lot of messy things that I'm working through in my life and in my heart. And sometimes that translates in my relationships with others in unhealthy ways. Therapy is good. Having people that you can be honest with, accountability uh, is good. It's all very, very good because it helps you to realize I am so incredibly flawed and I am part of the problem. But do you know what I find? When I resist uh, this, this temptation to just be isolated, to put on a face, right? I have to actively resist. Confession time. I have to actively resist putting on a happy face and acting like everything is fine if it's not. Because I feel like that's what you want to see. You might want to see somebody that's very put together and has it all figured out and everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Keep on moving. Right? I'm tempted to do that sometimes. But what I find is that when I am real, when I am raw, when I am vulnerable, when I share with, and I'm not just going to share everything with everyone, but when I share with trusted people, with with my husband, when I just get in and, and expose the ugliness that is in here, so often I find the joy and the reward of receiving a radical, relentless, Christ-like grace. It pulls me in. It draws me in. People are so gracious to me. They stick by me and they don't leave when things get hard and when my messy comes out. They don't just leave. They don't shut me out. They don't say, you're too much for me. I can't handle you. They stick by my side. And sometimes when I have seen Christ in the most beautiful ways, when I have seen the the beauty, the utter relentless beauty of Christ, it has been demonstrated in those who don't give up when things get hard. And so what I'm trying to say is individualism, being on an island, doesn't bring about the transformation that we desire nor the intimacy and community for which we were created. 
spiritual maturity, spiritual growth has often taken place in my life when I receive the committed staying of other people. That, that came out messy, but do you see what I'm saying? When people stay, when they don't leave, when things get hard, that is sometimes when my spiritual growth flourishes and I see a side of Jesus that I didn't even know could be there because he's that good. He is that faithful to work in and through our mess. Friends, don't resist this, this, this gift of flourishing, this gift of spiritual growth, of spiritual maturity that we all long for. Don't resist it by isolating yourselves from the people in this room. Lean in when it gets hard. Be honest when it's messy. Be truthful when you're offended. Give the opportunity for restoration, for grace. Stay, stick around when things are messy and hard because we profoundly need each other. And we all ought to be committed to each other in some way. We all ought to be reliant, a, a healthy reliant upon each other in some way. No, the word healthy, know when it's not healthy, okay? We're all about boundaries as well. I feel like it's, it's truly important. I don't feel obligated. I feel compelled to, to acknowledge and to call out that, that so much spiritual abuse has taken place under this kind of teaching, this can be a groundwork for spiritual abuse and abuse of spiritual authority to say, you're committed to me. You have to do what I say. You have to stay when things are hard. That's been, you get where I'm going, right? You can see all the ways that that can be used to abuse people. And that's not what we're talking, talking about. There's always boundaries and there's always a point where you can recognize this is not love. This is abuse. And so I want to be respectful of that, that that's not what this is. That's not the gospel that we see. If, if, if this, what Paul is saying and what we're talking about is being abused, if it's being lorded over people for abuse, it's not Jesus and we reject it. And I also want to acknowledge that there are people and maybe you can't relate and that's fine, but you shouldn't discount that there are people who have experienced legitimate church trauma because of what I just said. There's been abuse there has been teachings. There are people, I've heard their stories. They've grown up in the church and they heard this their whole life. You have to submit to me. You have to answer to me. I am your spiritual authority. And that's been used to cultivate atmospheres of abuse. And it's left traumatic marks on people to where they can't even join a church in the way we're talking about because it's too traumatic for them. And so we hold space for them too. This is not a, an obligation that you should move closer faster than you're ready See what I'm saying? We, we hold space and, and it's in those hard moments where we just all open ourselves up to the grace of God that is still redeeming, restoring, and renewing what's been broken. Amen? We do that at God's speed. And sometimes it's very slow, but that's necessary for healing. But what I'm saying is that I'm better when you are by my side. And I hope, I hope to make you better by being by your side. But you have to let me. We have to let each other come alongside. I'm not going to force it for the reason that I just said. <laughs> but it's also important. 
And I love how Father Giles, he says, I had to include this too. He says, when we are truly present to people over the long haul, we discover that these relationships can become means of God's grace to us. And I stand here as a testimony to this and say, amen and amen. I want to end with this. You know, we've talked about, we've heard from Eugene Peterson. If you watched the film, you saw Eugene Peterson was, was interviewed in this film. And, and I've read a lot from him throughout this series. And I, you know, or you may not know that he is the author of the message translation of the Bible. And so I love how Eugene Peterson, I'm just going to read verses 12 and 13 to you from the message from this passage that we read earlier. And he says this says, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no farther, no far, thir, further, whew, take a moment, than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. He says it's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. After all, this is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. You're baptized into a community. You're baptized into these people. These people stand and clap because they say, we accept you. We love you. You're one of us now. And if that's news to you, well, now you know. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we, used, we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Gentile, slave or free, they are no longer useful. We need something larger, something more comprehensive. Isn't that beautiful? I'm so thankful for the words of others when mine far, fall far too short. Friends, life at God's speed starts with a greater attentiveness to where we are and to who we are with. An attentiveness, listen, this is a beautiful circle. This attentiveness leads us back to God. If it's done right, if it's done well, if, if the spirit is alive and active, if he has been properly welcomed, then this togethering, this withing, I'm making up words on the fly here, this doing life together leads us back to God. And a love of God and an awe and reverence of God, if understood properly, always leads you back to your neighbor. It's beautiful, right? Don't we serve an amazing God who really knew what he was doing? We're just the ones that tend to get in the way. I'm going to ask the praise team to come as we prepare to reflect with a closing song. And I want to say again, no man or woman, you get it, is an island. None of us were meant to, to live isolated alone on an island. Individualism, being on an island, doesn't bring about the transformation that we truly deep down desire. 
nor the intimacy and community for which we were created. The challenge here, when it's so tempting to just isolate, it's too hard. I've been hurt too many times. These people don't understand me. They don't love me. They don't want to get to know me. They don't want to understand me. When we cut ourselves off from the community of God simply because it's hard, and I'm not trying to discount your pain, we are perhaps missing out on the greatest transformation that comes when we seek to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. And so to help with this, your practice for this week. I've tried to, to share with you a practice each week to just find little ways to incorporate what, we're, what, what I'm sharing with you into your everyday life, if you're willing. The practice is to, it's kind of odd and it's a little clunky, but practice being in awe of the people with whom you live and work. I know that sounds kind of weird, but here's, here's the inspiration behind this from, where, from how I see it, is it's all too easy to be in annoyance. <laughs> To, to be in annoyance. Like, I'm not in awe of you. I'm in annoyance of you. It's all too easy to be in offense, right? Like, I'm not in awe of you. I'm offended by you. And so you see what I'm saying. So simply pray. Pray and ask God, let me be in awe of these people. Let me see them the way you see them. Let me be open to receiving from them maybe the grace of God that I haven't yet seen in my life. Friends, we are all, all, both hands up, I'm all in. We are all in need of God's redeeming work and redeeming love. And so the invitation today, as we close and reflect and open up our heart to the Holy Spirit, the invitation is to let God work on them, right? Let God work on them and to let God work on you to let God work on me. And I think if we all are open ourselves up to this kind of work, to this kind of honest reflection, then we will see a beauty and a grace of God that we perhaps haven't seen. May it be so, amen. As we end our service, let's all stand together and sing a song we've selected available here. Uh, Chorus says, here I am with open hands. Uh, I hear you call. I am available. I say yes, Lord. I am available. So may that be your prayer as we close this morning.
share one more little blurb for that I read in a book this week by Deborah Hirsch was doing my in, in my defense I was doing my own reading for my own personal self and this just jumped out and I said well I have to share that too because it goes so well but she says this she says uh, she's re- regarding or referring to the the passage in Matthew 12 where Jesus says who is my mother who are my brothers speaking of the the people that are following Jesus the following him doing what God has called him to do and that's redefining family she says this about that Jesus is redefining family making room for those whose singleness or estrangement might otherwise keep them isolated And Jesus' words calls us to a greater love, a greater commitment to the well-being of those within the household of God and beyond. She says it's sacrificial, it's costly, but it's this exact type of love expressed through God's people that others from the outside may look in with wide eyes and say, what type of love do these people have for one another? Wouldn't you love for others to say that when they look at BFCN? What kind of love do these people have for one? Just how far is this going to go? It's this type of love that shows the world the reality of God. My life, she says, has been rich beyond measure in no small part due to the multitude of weird and wonderful people who I have had the privilege of sharing life with. And it's the weird and wonderful people that make me a better person, a better follower of Jesus. So as I leave that with you, friends, I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord, who wants to show you more of himself through the people that he has placed in your life. May you be open. May you be open before God as he wants to continue to make you more like him. And may you be open to inviting those in whom God is going to use to transform your life to look more like him. Go in his grace and only in his strength you can do it. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. See you next week.